to the Futures podcast from the Futures team here at Birkbeck, University of London. In this podcast, we'll be chatting with industry leaders and top UK employers to hear their advice, uncover what they look for when hiring and share their experiences of their own personal career journeys. We hope you enjoy the show. On this episode of the Futures podcast, we're joined by Kate Temple-Brown, whose career spans across early careers and helping people find opportunities. So a big welcome to Kate and a big, big thank you for having you on the show. You're welcome. Um, did you want to start off by telling us a little bit about you and kind of what you've got up to in your career? Yes. Uh, so I actually did drama and English at university okay. and um, fell into um, the city, as it were, starting off in a stockbroker's and uh, quite small stockbrokers that I loved Mm -hmm. and then um, I moved on to working at Deutsche Bank so on the biggest trading floor in Europe being an assistant Mm -hmm. and what I realised was I loved the buzz of working in the city but what I really really enjoyed was finding new talent and finding opportunities for people and expanding expectations on both sides Mm -hmm. so then I moved into HR at Goldman Sachs and worked there for seven years, uh, starting in the firm-wide team, mm-hmm. which meant that we um, supported everybody in all the different divisions doing the graduate recruiting. And then I went into the investment banking division and worked there doing uh, undergrad and MBA recruitment globally. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I went back to Deutsche Bank okay. and did their marketing uh, sorry, their markets and investment banking, which mm-hmm. is a CIB team. Um, then I most recently was at the Bank of England looking at their firm-wide programme because they had a smaller but across-the-board programme and also setting up their school legal programme. Okay. So they had that was the beginning of people looking at early careers mm-hmm. rather than just pure grads. And then when I left there in 2016, it was to set up my own business looking at apprenticeships. Mm -hmm. So what I do now is help organisations understand the apprenticeship levy opportunity and also how they can use it really creatively in their businesses. So lots of experience from a hiring manager's perspective. Yes, absolutely. Um, Tell us about how you went from your degree subject (laughs) to working as a stockbroker. So I, the only way I was allowed to do drama at university by my mother was (laughs) to do it with teaching. Okay. uh, Because she felt like that was a good fallback. Mm -hmm. So that actually, she was right, because it gave me a good standard of education. And when I applied for other jobs, it looked more... Um, official and academic than just saying I did drama and English and um, but after I'd done my degree I did Edinburgh Festival for a month loved Mm -hmm. it thought I was going to be a professional actress got some work in the fringe Mm -hmm. but ended up needing to day job because the fringe wasn't paying me any money and the most money I could earn was working in the city Mm -hmm. and but then I absolutely loved it and they offered me a permanent job and um, I'm ashamed to say that I went from one extreme to the other <laughs> from my creative yeah, right very, into the city very, very different. but actually yes. the reason I loved it and that's one of the things I would say to anyone listening to this podcast is think about the way you like to live your life in terms of do you want fast-paced or do you want solid longer-term projects I love the pace of working in the city mm-hmm. it's incredibly extreme but it finished at five o'clock stop yeah. breaking everybody stopped at five so you, you didn't pee all day, but at five you stopped. And that, for me, was a great way to work. Yeah. 
but there are other people who work in investment banking and they come in at nine and they are still there at midnight. Yeah, long days. Yeah. It depends what, what you're looking for. But for exactly, it's that your style of working yeah. rather than I want to be an investment banker because there's so many different connotations of that phrase, yeah. I think. So you've had two very different insights into careers. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, so yeah, like we were just saying, so a lot of your hiring experience has been in banking. Yes. Um, and we were just talking before we started recording about how a career in, in banking or in finance, as you said, isn't just for those that want to work in finance. There's lots of different aspects of banking. So tell us what a career can look like in that sector. Yeah, I mean, I think the... The thing to remember is that large organisations such as Goldman Sachs, Deutsche Bank, are enterprises now. So they have all of their internal functions that, for example, Tesco's have. Mm -hmm. They have a property arm, they have facilities arm, they have HR, marketing, and yes, they have banking, and yes, they have trading. However, if you look at the hiring numbers over the years... They are very much on operations side. IT is a huge growth industry mm -hmm. in all of these industries. Um, and the actual number of investment bankers who work at Goldman is probably the smallest population. Because now they need people who can do the trading, people who can run the business, mm -hmm. people who can run the buildings, people who can look after the people, and also IT people. Yeah, yeah. so there's lots of different roles within it. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And what can, like, do people need to have the relevant, do they need to come from a finance or a banking background? Do they need to have studied something relevant or? I think nowadays with grad programmes particularly, what organisations are looking for is diversity of thought. Mm -hmm. And so often there will always be a percentage of people who do have the PPE or the finance or the maths. But once you have got a good maths GCSE mm -hmm. and you can show that you can understand that side of your brain I actually think often organisations are looking actively to people who haven't done finance at university mm -hmm. I think um, for example M&G which is a big investment management organisation look for people who are excellent at something okay. so if you're excellent at music mm -hmm. excellent at horse riding they get really excited about those okay. types because they think that's the discipline, it's the being used to working, yeah. it's the having focus. And typically, the people that these organisations meet have a good standard of academics and they want them to be taught and open-minded when they yeah. get there rather than thinking they know everything. And because you have to come from being incredibly successful in mm -hmm. your university career to basically going back to the bottom of the pile. Yeah. So actually having that open-minded desire to learn completely trumps what subject you did at university. Yeah. And is that the same for all kind of the operations of the business, so marketing, HR, or would you expect people to have some sort of understanding? Yeah, I think interestingly, HR has become much more of a specialised area. I mean, quite frankly, I wouldn't get into it now because most of the people who have done the relevant qualification before they've got to to the organisation are HR. People do like masters in HR after yeah. they've done an undergrad. Uh, undergrad. Mm -hmm. So it's a bit more like law where you do that sort of masters version to give you the skill set. Yeah. But also there's this huge um, interest in people who've done internships. 
So if you've got either work experience or internships in a relevant organisation, mm-hmm. I would say that that almost puts you in better stead than having the right degree subject. Yeah. Because it shows that you've been proactive and already been um, actively choosing to mm-hmm. work in an organisation such as that. Okay. And for people that are looking to, they've decided that this is the industry that they want to work in, um, it's obviously very competitive to get into, especially with the likes of Goldman Sachs. Yeah. I imagine your graduate recruitment, your levels of applications are through the roof. Well, I used to call myself a graduate rejector rather than a graduate recruiter. So I rejected 97% of applications. It's insane. And I don't think that's any different now. Yeah. So I think you're right, you need to have something that makes you stand out. And often it isn't as basic as you doing a maths degree. Mm -hmm. It's more that what you've been doing in your own time, how you've been showing that you are interested in, for example, trading, how you potentially maybe even trade your own money if you want to go onto a trading floor. Mm -hmm. I've worked, when I was at Deutsche Bank and I was doing the trading side as well, they wouldn't bring anyone to interview who had never traded their own money because okay. they were saying that you you couldn't even comprehend the feeling that they were trying to get people to understand. Yeah. So it's, it's more about what you're doing in your own time than what you are purely doing at university. Okay. And how do you kind of sell those or pitch those sort of things in your application or on your CV? So when you're talking about um, people being really good at music or horse riding, yeah. sometimes they're things that students are afraid to kind of put on their CV. I, I totally agree. It's really interesting because um, what I used to do was, if you think of a one-page CV, the, the top three quarters mm-hmm. are tend to be incredibly generic. Uh, I used to joke and say, everyone's got you know 10 A stars, three A's, walked up Kilimanjaro, and so you take that as a given. Yeah. So then you look at the bottom, which is the free form text. Do you want to tell us anything about yourself? Mm-hmm. And that is where you can make your differentiator. Okay. So I think there are people who don't ever put anything in that. Mm-hmm. But that is your time to actually show that you are of independent thought or you've really dedicated yourself to that. Yeah. Also, I think a lot of... Um, Application forms now give you a space to put in your work experience or relevant experience you've had in businesses such as that. Mm-hmm. But I also think don't be afraid to make a link that isn't obvious. So, for example, if your work experience has only been in a shop, mm-hmm. then say, I worked in a shop, but I really, it made me realize X, Y, and Z that I, I was very comfortable with money, I enjoyed the customer relationship. Um, I was I was star employee three months out of yeah. five I was there. Pull out the the interesting pieces of every single piece of work experience mm-hmm. you've got. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because so many students work in in retail or hospitality. Absolutely, and they think, oh, I should put that on my CV because it's not relevant. Mm. But I think customer service is one of those skills that everybody has to develop. Hundred percent. And if you think if you work in a really busy bar. How similar is that to actually working on a trading floor? Very. You've got to prioritise, you've got to be completely present for that period of time. Yeah. And you've got to really enjoy having people, you know, coming at you in all different angles. Yeah. But I would predict that most people would not put that on, that they just worked Mm -hmm. in a student bar. They'd say, well, unless I've worked in a bank, I'm not going to tell you about it. Yeah. And I guess one of the biggest things from customer service is dealing with tricky customers. And I think that's a big learning curve for a lot of people. Absolutely. And that's something that you use in any career, really, isn't it? 100%. Um, So... 
You've kind of touched on it a little bit, but what if they are changing career completely? So yes. they have already been working somewhere for 10 years in a completely different industry. How can they pitch that? I guess I guess a lot of students, they don't want to take, say, a 20 or a 30k pay cut to start a new career. Yeah. So how do they pitch those skills from their career change that may be a little bit more senior to just working in hospitality? How do they... Yeah, I think it's I think it's difficult because I think that it seems cleaner from an organisational perspective to stick with one population. If you're doing a grad program, stay with them. Yeah. Um, and I think, as we said, they've got so many applications. It's like they don't have to make any of the hard work because yeah. they they're already rejecting ninety seven percent of the people who are mm-hmm. applying. But what I would say is, going back to that diversity of thought piece, lots of the organisations I'm now working with are doing returner programmes, upskilling programmes, people who are uh, maybe have a fundamental understanding of basic technology but want to improve their digital skills for the future of work. Mm -hmm. All those sorts of programmes are well paid and are pitched at people who are career switchers. Okay. So I think it's worthwhile making sure you're connected with the career service here Mm -hmm. who would know about those sorts of things and that's their support to you Mm -hmm. is that they could tell you that for example and and I also sorry interrupt myself it's not always about mothers I think there's this huge thing about career switches are only women who've had 10 years off to give birth it's not just about that there are there are people who come out the military there are people who are pure career switches there are people who want to upskill themselves for the future of work. Mm-hmm. Organisations are really proactively looking for those populations yeah. because they need, for example, I work with Financial Conduct Authority on a data analyst programme mm-hmm. for people who were career switchers. So they would have at least five years work experience, but they wanted to understand how to become a data analyst. Yeah. Financial Ombudsman are doing a similar one for investigators. Okay. So there are those programs out there. It's yeah. just understanding how to to be in that program. And also they're not that well known, so they're not yeah. the crazy. What I would say is don't if you are a you know 38-year-old person with 10 years work experience, don't apply for a grad program because that's a different population. Mm-hmm. And you can absolutely talk to your blue in the face about how you're happy to go back to basics and all that. Yeah. They, they don't need to be that creative, so they're not going to be. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And with, um, slightly off topic, but working in HR and doing the recruiting, did you ever get people that wouldn't apply for a specific grad scheme, but they would just send you their CV? Yes. Um, again, I think that's, uh, that's less prevalent than it used to be because okay. I think particularly for very popular organisations they tend to have cycles of recruitment mm-hmm. or then it goes into the experience hire category and often the experience hire category they will advertise their roles and you will need to apply to them whether you know through LinkedIn yeah. or or through directly through their websites. Okay. So um, the ad hoc CV piece yeah. is less effective than it used to be. So it's better for them to kind of do their research and find out about those other programs. I would, yeah, I would say so. Okay. And another um, thing that I quite often find with our students is they might have really, really good, really strong, relevant financial services experience, but 
from um, from abroad, so they yeah. haven't got UK experience, and that can quite often be a hurdle in their application process. How would you say that they pitch that experience? I would say um, be aware of where you're applying to, that that experience is useful. So, for mm-hmm. example, to some extent, I wouldn't apply to Barclays with that experience because Barclays is very well known as a UK bank. Yeah. But if you applied to a bank that was much more international, then you would actually add value to them. I think what we spent a lot of time from a grad perspective is um, fending off and quite frankly rejecting people who thought that if they did Spanish A-level, yeah. then they could join the Spanish team. But that's, it's just not, there's a cultural perspective to that and yeah. also... Um, when someone's filling um, the Spanish roles, they want someone who actually is Spanish, yeah. typically. So I wouldn't think that that would be um, enough international experience for you. Mm-hmm. I do think that lots of organisations like it when someone's lived abroad okay. and they can bring that to them. But again, be aware of where you're applying and check, A, they've got even an office in the country from which you are yeah. you have your experience but also that you think that there would be business to be done because you have to frame yourself as an asset to them mm-hmm. not that no one is ever going to hire you because they think they should because yeah. they don't need to do that I think also that there again going back to this diversity of thought piece that um, you could absolutely frame it as a really value add to them that you've worked internationally and also things like the transferable skills of understanding how to work across borders with different tax laws mm-hmm. and different cultural interactions is a very useful skill. Yeah. So big up that piece maybe rather than I have been in Egypt or I have been in India. I think there is, um, there is less of a stigma about mm-hmm. people moving from working in investment banks as in other countries and then coming to London than mm-hmm. they used to be. Okay. Uh, but I also think you need to do some of the work to frame yeah. what you have done. But also use your networks. You should have the network from the organisation that you worked mm-hmm. with abroad who may well know people over here as well. So, yeah. so don't be af- afraid of using your network. And talking about networks, um, I'm a big LinkedIn advocate. <laughs> How would you say, do you think it's important that when people are kind of looking to get in the industry that they're using LinkedIn to its full potential and actually using it as opposed to just having a profile? Uh, I, I, short answer, yes, you should absolutely use LinkedIn. What I would warn against is presuming that because someone has accepted your invitation on LinkedIn that they want you to bombard them and ask them for loads of coffees and questions Mm -hmm. again Birkbeck probably have a really good alum network I would go there first to see if you can use your alum because they are already much more invested in you Mm -hmm. than just random Morgan Stanley guys yeah definitely Uh, Interestingly, I've seen a massive uptick in that happening in the last six months on LinkedIn, that people link in with you, which I tend to agree to, mm-hmm. because I just think having a bigger network's better. Yeah. But then immediately, as soon as you've agreed, then they're like, right, so this is, I either want to sell you something or I want a job. Yeah. And um, that's just annoying. So just be careful of being that person. Yeah. But I would say LinkedIn generally, also read articles on LinkedIn, have something to say. So when you do go, the next thing I would always say in networking is go to the events, go to the careers fairs, meet people, mm-hmm. particularly if you have 
a less than classic background. Yes. The more that people understand you, and if you have read something either they posted or their business has done on LinkedIn that day, mm-hmm. you've immediately got something to talk about. Yeah. And I always think it's, if you're following the sorts of companies that you want to work for, without even realising, you're doing interview prep. 100%. Whenever you get that yeah. interview. And you're really, doing... Yes. And, and remember that the people who are interviewing you will probably be meeting about 60 other people. So be the one that stands out from those 60 people. Yeah. Don't think that they are there for the good of their health to have a chat with you about you. And absolutely, they want to hear your opinion and make sure that you're intellectually curious. Mm. But the more that you can pepper it with information about the business yeah. and the organisation, is it's only going to help you. Yeah, and it shows that you've actually done your research and you've looked into it. And it's a much easier way of doing it because yeah. it's right there coming into your phone. Yeah, and I guess as well, it, when you talk about being bombarded with messages... I think also do your research in that. So don't just bombard somebody that's in the industry if it's not relevant to what yeah. you want to do. Actually make sure you are reaching out to people that could potentially really help you and are going to have I think so. yeah. for you. As opposed to just saying, oh yeah, they work at Bank of England, I'm going to message them. Absolutely. Yeah. I know who it is that you're messaging. Yeah. Um, and once, once they get to that point and they've built their network and they've applied and obviously then it gets to the big scary interview interview stage yes I again I imagine this is incredibly competitive yeah I mean I think that quite frankly getting to interview nowadays is incredibly difficult because up to interview you may not have been met by a real person so it's all the hurdles are electronic which I think are the hardest hurdles to jump over so um, well done if you've got to interview actually and uh, but yes, I think there is still very much. I think typically for first round interview, organisations will meet four per people for every one that they hire. Okay. So if you think of it in that way, mm-hmm. what can you bring to the table that some the other three can't? Basically, if yeah. you think of it in pure numbers, and just show what organisations like to see is that you have proactively chosen them mm-hmm. and their division. So don't go in saying, I know I want to be a banker. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything and it really annoys everybody. So have a thought about the team, do some research, find out what is of import to Mm -hmm. the person. Often you won't be able to be, you won't be able to know who you are seeing because it changes right up to the minute and even throughout the day. So also, it's really difficult because you need to look engaged, Mm -hmm. but don't be overly demanding of the graduate recruiter who quite frankly hasn't slept for a month because that time of the year is insane saying who am I seeing who am I seeing who am I seeing but by the same token have a think about who you might be seeing you know already by then what division you are being seen for so think about some specific questions about Mm -hmm. that and what a an interviewer would love is for you to say I read in your year-end accounts that uh, you know your profits have actually gone down <laughs> in large organ- in large M and A deals, but up in smaller M and A. Why do you think that's happened? Yeah, that would just blow everyone's mind, and mm-hmm. they'd be really excited if they heard that. They've done more than just read the website. Absolutely. And going back, just want to rewind to something you just said um, about until they get to interview their application or they haven't met with a real person. Yeah. How much of the application process, from your experience, has been um, electronic? Like, do you scan CVs or do you actually look through and read them in the applications? 
Uh, I think honestly, nowadays, very little mm-hmm. is, a, is a person done. So it's very much um, making sure you are clear about what you are putting into the application form. Often the CV is uploaded but never actually seen because people read the application form. Mm-hmm. And also, I think we're even getting to the point where real people don't even read the application form and it becomes AI and it yeah. becomes special words and I know when I was doing it a lot that was like an urban myth that it was all if you said five words you would get through I don't think it's ever going to be that automated Mm -hmm. but I think you have to presume that someone is giving you I think the stat I can't remember off my head now but I think it was something like eight seconds a real person would be looking at your CV and that's why when I said I used to take everything else for granted and just look at the bottom Mm -hmm. Because if you've got 4,000 CVs to look at, which is realistically the number that you would look at, you're not going to be checking, oh, you went to this high school, that's nice, I know my sister's brother's party (laughs) went there. People just don't do that. Yeah. Okay, that's good to know. Um, And yeah, so going back to to interviews, obviously you want to see that they've done the prep and they've got an understanding. What else, what other traits do you look to see in an interview? Don't underestimate first impressions. Yeah. Dress as if you work there. Mm-hmm. So well, the reason I say that phrase is if it's on a Friday, check if it's dressed down Friday. Because some people are happy for you to come in smart casual on a Friday. Or mm-hmm. or they will say, wear a suit, but we'll be dressed down. Yeah. And then we'll give you the heads up. Or if it's, you know, if it's a small fintech firm, maybe they would be freaked out if you turned up in a suit. Or yeah. think you, you don't, you're not a cultural mm-hmm. fit. Whereas ironically, you, that's the first time you've worn a suit that year but you've worn it because you had an interview. Mm. So be culturally aware mm. of what you're walking into. I think that works both ways as well. If you walk into an environment and everybody's smart casual and you're suited and booted, you're probably going to feel a little bit uneasy and uncomfortable. Absolutely. So I think that works both ways. And it's quite easy to find out the mm. cultural um, dress code. Yeah. I mean, look, at the pictures in their website will either be of people in open neck shirts or it'll be very formal and... Things like that. Oh, you can ask. Mm. I mean, what I think um, recruitment teams are better at is preparing the candidates. So typically, there'll be a pack that they yeah. send out saying, this is your day, these are who you're seeing. You will be seeing three people from the investment banking division They probably won't tell you their names. Mm-hmm. It's your interviews on a Friday, so we'll all be dressed down, but we would like you to be in business wear because blah, blah, or not. And I think you, that's the sort of question you can ask. Mm-hmm. And there are FAQs and, you know, um, the vault and there are um, websites you can go on to find out how other people experience the interviews. Mm -hmm. And they may say they were really long-winded or mine finished after 20 minutes because my banker just got bored. That happens a lot. I don't think that's a bad thing. It's just they've got all they need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes. I think people quite often think, oh, my interview only lasted this long. It didn't go well. Yeah. But if you've been concise and straight to the point... Absolutely. And maybe that's a massive plus in your corner. Yeah. You can just get through it. Yeah. And I'm sure you've probably seen some in your time. What are some of the really silly mistakes that people do and are very easy to correct? Pet hate. Very obviously standard cover letter that says, when I, I've never worked at Morgan Stanley, but I've seen a lot of cover letters mm. from Morgan Stanley. Because people literally just roll it out, the mm-hmm. same old, same old. Um, 
if you want to stand out, you cannot have one cover letter and one CV for every single application you make. Mm -hmm. The average number of applications, I believe, is 13. Mm -hmm. And you should have 13 different cover letters for that. Because if you're expecting the person to look at your specific CV, you could take the half hour, hour, to do some research, see why, and, and also actively make a choice to apply to somewhere, yeah. rather than just literally... I mean, I'm sure people just put the top 10 investment banks and just apply to all of them. Yeah. But do you want to work in a small one, a large one? Do you want the head office to be in London or do you want the head office to be in America? Do you want it to be internationally focused? Do you want it to be more of a trading shop than an investment banking mm -hmm. shop? You have to have, think of all those things before you start applying. Yeah. And also think about where you do your internship to, to reflect the next stage. So, for example, um, I totally even forgot to tell you I worked at BlackRock. But I was working there as well, and I said the best thing for us was if someone had done an internship at an investment bank, realised they hated it, and then came sell side, okay. buy side, sorry, mm -hmm. from sell side, because then we knew they'd taken out that idea. Mm -hmm. And exactly the same at the Bank of England, if we knew if someone had been somewhere completely different, then we knew they'd actively chosen to come to the Bank of England. Okay, so don't worry that your internship isn't where you end up because yeah. as long as you can again frame what you didn't like about it yeah. and frame what you why you have moved to a different sphere mm. that's very useful yeah I think it's a really interesting point about not just bringing up the top 10 investment banks and applying to all of them yeah I'm a big believer that you should understand the values and what it is actually Absolutely. about that company I think sometimes people get very caught up in the job spec and think this is what I want to do. But is that well, yeah, I call it brand blindness. Yeah. That people just say, Oh, I want to work at Barclays. Why do you want to work at Barclays? Do you want to work in a in an actual bank? Are you in the retail side? Are you working you know, there's so many different opportunities in in a an organization that large. Yeah. You can't just get fixated about saying mm -hmm. you want to work at Barclays. Um so I think let's move on to apprenticeships. Yeah. Because obviously that's something that you're working across now. And, yes. And I'm very passionate about. And I think definitely from my perspective, apprenticeships are, are a very different route into employment that a lot of people probably wouldn't consider. Um, so do you want to tell us more about how that can be an option? Yeah, I would say yes and no. Mm -hmm. um, the programmes that I was talking about for um, career switches were will be based on apprenticeships mm -hmm. so uh there's a huge myth that apprenticeships are just for young people and that they're poorly paid yeah uh i in my experience i neither of those facts are true there are ones that are poorly paid for young people but i don't deal with anyone who does that mm -hmm. so uh we're currently working for example with an investment management firm whose grad program will be a future leader apprenticeship okay it's a leadership and management level three and it is helping them to prepare their future leaders mm -hmm. so it's really just giving them structure in their grad program lots of the um, large investment banks are doing that as well uh, for many reasons but one of them is that it's a very cost-effective way to have a very structured grad program mm -hmm. so why wouldn't you so when um, when an organization tells you that it's an apprenticeship I think don't be immediately thinking that that's a step downwards after doing a degree it's a very different proposition that happens yeah. to give you structure to your program mm -hmm. also for example the data analysts and the um, investigator programs that's also a great way to learn 
in a structured way. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, as long as you're aware of what the program is, if you are joining a program going forward, more and more likely there may be an apprenticeship element to it. Mm -hmm. Because the large organisations particularly, quite frankly, have millions of pounds to spend on apprenticeships. So they're going to do it on their Mm programmes because that makes sense because that's people expecting to learn on the job. Yeah. Um, so I think make sure you are aware of what that means yeah. so that you can make a proactive decision if that's what you want mm-hmm. to do. But typically, I would say if you are joining an organisation on a programme, it doesn't make any difference how it's funded. Mm-hmm. It's just a programme. Yeah. And do you think an apprenticeship is something that um, better students could do whilst they were studying or it would be more of uh, after graduation? Um, you could do an apprenticeship at Birkbeck, mm-hmm. but you couldn't. You can't study for two things at once. So you you would be able to to do it as your time at Birkbeck, like a degree apprenticeship, yeah. okay. which again I think is becoming more and more popular, particularly in technology roles. Mm-hmm. So there is an argument that which I have been having for years, which is if you're doing a technology role, doing computer science at university is the worst way of learning what you need because. Mm-hmm the way that academic cycles work is too slow. Yeah. So it takes four years to create a new academic curriculum. So by the time Ruby on Rails goes yeah. into that, that will be four years old mm-hmm. and it will be something completely different. Yeah. And so I think if you are really interested in working in IT, then you do it as a degree apprenticeship affiliated with a place of work mm-hmm. that you can apply the learning on the job. Yeah, yeah. definitely one of the best ways to learn is definitely. by actually doing Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, have you got anything else to add just before I ask you one last question? Uh, I think what I would add is that this is your um, opportunity mm-hmm. to shine and show people what's different about you. I think the easier you can make it for somebody to say yes to your application, the more likely that will happen. Yeah. And having a presumption that it's either so difficult that all you do is go to the lowest common denominator and tick the boxes. Mm -hmm. Spending a small amount of time being creative about how you share your information Mm -hmm. will reap very large rewards. Yeah. So from everything that we've said or anything that we might not have covered, what would be your biggest piece of advice to somebody looking to start their career in the industry? Do your research. Mm -hmm. Find out what you actually want to do as a job rather than where you want to work as a brand. Yeah. And use the university and your network. Perfect. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. Um, If you want to know anything about, um, in more detail, anything that we have discussed, then please email talent at bbk.ac.uk. But thank you again. It was lovely chatting with you and we will see you next time. Thank you. That's all from us today. Thanks for listening to the Futures podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll see you next time.